Hey there, welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. How you holding up, Rob? I'm I'm still doing okay. I have <laughs> <laughs> no shining moments. Yep. Um I'm uh it helps to not have kids, but cats are always like creepy twins. Um but yeah, I'm just um still doing just getting better at drums. Yep. <laughs> and uh and uh as you may have seen, digging up old song demos and nonsense and posting them on SoundCloud. Yes, that has been wonderful. <laughs> Uh, they are total. Yeah. So I yep. just, um, you've been at this for a long time. You have, you have uh, quite a back catalog. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, and I haven't hit the albums of things <laughs> with that stuff either. That's just sketch song sketches or something I made for someone for their birthday or who knows. Uh, so those are fun, but, uh, yeah. So I just been, I've been doing recording, you know, I did some more recording for these episodes so yep. that we have, we have some more. Uh, bump music when we take our our little breaks uh, which is fantastic give people one one breath without hearing our voices Mm. um that's what they're for yeah it's a little palate cleanser a little bit of sorbet yeah and i know i've seen some some of the things you're up to on uh social media (laughs) saw the tent in your living room that was awesome yep (laughs) um well you know like so my wife and i we are home with our very soon to be seven-year-old son um and uh you know it's the days kind of blend together and uh it's easy to have just a few you know just not bad days but just kind of you know kind of lame days in a row um and uh we just realized uh, last night that we needed to do something um that was uh just to break up the monotony a little bit so yeah uh suggested it's like hey do you want to set up your tent in the living room and we'll make a fire in the fireplace and that's what we did um, I love, yeah love that. so he camped out in the living room in his little pup tent and uh this afternoon uh i was hanging out with him in the tent in the living room um and uh he was uh doing some sort of game on his ipad um and i was reading x-men comics uh next to him and uh it was you know not a terrible way to spend an afternoon at all it was pretty great (laughs) Um, i highly recommend anyone within the sound of my voice um whether you've got kids or not, uh, if you haven't made yourself like, uh, if you haven't done like a living room campout situation, either by like setting up a little pup tent or making like a blanket fort or a pillow fort, uh, and just like lie down in there and and read some comics, if you haven't done that in a little while, um, it, it is uh, it's very soothing. Uh, I definitely recommend uh, taking advantage of this opportunity. You know, you're stuck in your house anyway. You might as well construct some new spaces in it. 
I like that. I like the I like the new spaces just being forts. Like you yeah. know, get all oh, the yeah. cushions off the couch and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Um what the hell? Why not? You know, I mean <laughs> we've got an indefinite number of weeks of this ahead of us. So, you know, let's figure out ways to keep it interesting. Oh, I know this is gonna make for some great um I don't know why this occurred to me earlier today, but like uh films or um, shows where they're showing somebody incarcerated or like home. <laughs> <laughs> like the, I think that people have missed the hilarity that really would happen if you lock somebody in their own house for a year. Right. Like, like what we're talking about, you know, take some time to build a fort um, or find a different space and yeah. occupy it. You know, yes. like just imagine a year in a house like a house arrest kind of thing <laughs> what you would you know like what what did napoleon do on elba like, right start like i'm gonna try to talk them into repainting the walls again because i'm sick of this color uh you know just yeah. who knows oh yeah no I, I mean we're having no trouble coming up with a huge list of projects to do around the house um just because like wow when you spend every minute of every day in a place um there's stuff that you're like, this could be way better. Um, yep. So it's, yeah. Um, WD-40 is constantly yeah. out just taking squeaky doors. Through <laughs> <here>. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm getting a lot of comics read. So, you know, I can't complain too much. Uh, there's, yeah. This this is not, this is by far the lamest uh, apocalypse ever. Um, but it is the most uh, comics reading friendly version of it that I think I've ever heard about. So yeah, so far yeah. it's cool to not be fearing for my life. I, ex I assumed any sort of apocalyptic level uh, occurrence would just be the constant terrifying fear. Right, uh, right. But so far, so good. Yeah, no, um, I, just, I, th I think we've got that planned for August. Um, yeah, just existential <laughs> dread right. all the way through to summer. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, I guess uh, that's a, a long way around it to say uh, that I'm happy to be uh, recording with you again um, remotely. Uh, I, I am in the home studio uh, and you have uh, set yourself up with, well, you basically have a studio in your house. Um, you, you record yep. a lot of music and stuff like that. So um, yeah, yeah. So we're two good guys to ha be doing a podcast in a time like this. Yeah, we happen to have the technology and the equipment to pull yeah, this off. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think we, we're starting to identify a short list of friends who we can uh, bring in here um, or, you know, virtually bring in here uh, and do some uh, episodes with, which will be nice. It'll be nice to hear from some folks and, and check in with them and then, you know, just talk about dumb stuff like 1960s Marvel comics for an hour. Yeah. Give, give them a break uh, by <laughs> giving them an assignment and then a, you know, a broadcast level um, conversation. Yeah. What, well, and, and, what couldn't chill somebody out? For that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, it could be way worse. Like they're, they're not going to have to read any Hank Pym comics. So true, um, you know, it, it's uh and, and no solo human torch adventures either. So yeah, yeah, that must be why I just did all the reading, just finished everything up and was like, that seemed pretty refreshing and overall solid. Yeah. Like there wasn't. How come so, I'm not mad? 
now I realize <laughs> Repim wasn't involved. Yeah. Oh. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. So uh, all all the uh, all the comics we read for this week's ish, uh, episode of the podcast, uh, they all hit the stands in May 1965. Um, they are not cover dated May 1965. So if you're looking for them uh, in the Marvel Unlimited app, um, you're going to want to search for July and August 1965 cover dates um, because that's what they're cover dated. We have the full list of uh, comics that we read this month uh, on our show notes, as always. Uh, we're not going to talk about every issue, uh, but those are the ones that we read um, for this episode. Um, the cover dates are starting to get out of sync with each other. That's why we're going with the release dates uh, from now on. Um, and uh, the way that we're getting those release dates um, is a resource that Douglas Wolk shared with us. We highly recommend. It's called Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. Um, so if you want to see uh, upcoming episodes, you know, and all the uh, comics that we're going to be talking about uh, that came out in a certain month, that's where to go um, because that's what we're using. So, uh, yeah. So that's that, that just made me think of what if the, you know, what if we hit a point with this where we can have people pre read with us and then call in? Can you oh, imagine? I love the level that idea. Of, I mean, I, we could barely handle trying to read like a tweet while we're doing this, right, but that could yeah. be a start, you yeah. know, have people, um, that way we don't have to try to figure out patching in, uh, callers. That sounds hard, uh, <laughs> in the middle of, a you know, our episode, but, yeah. uh, but we could, uh, that's just a nice idea. Like just send us a, a tweet of what you read or what you thought we should, uh, cover and uh, and we could do it yeah, yeah that would be fun i would definitely recommend um uh so if anyone has the marvel unlimited app um and you want to skip ahead a few months in your favorite title um and if there's anything you want to make sure that we touch on or any questions you have about something that's coming up um you can either shoot us an email or uh email us a voice memo to uh, marvel by the month at gmail.com um and uh yeah we'll throw it in on the show why not um yeah you're going to make my work like 2% easier every time you plan out a couple minutes of this podcast for me. So um, I appreciate Somebody it. <laughs> talk to us for two minutes. That's all we're asking. That's all we ask Just... for. God, yeah. I mean, with the, the, you know, the, the social isolation right now, like, yeah, I'm, I'm almost willing to pay someone to talk to me for two minutes. Um, I did. I, fu I fully answered a robocall today. And then, you know, it went, I knew it was, and it went like a sentence in and I yeah. hung up. But I, yeah. but I was just like, I'll answer the phone. Yeah. Sure. Oh, a human voice. I mean, a recording of a human voice, but <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Marriott wants to talk to me. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, let's. So, like I said, all these uh, comics that we're going to talk about that came out in May 1965. Uh, you want to give us a little bit of information on what was going on in the world in May 1965? Sure. Um, on the second of May, President Lyndon Baines Johnson made a nationally televised speech to explain that he ordered U.S. troops to invade the Dominican Republic a few days earlier because of communism, basically. Yeah, it, it was like some, um, there was a, a civil war taking place and apparently the side that you know, America was not excited about uh, was starting to get some leverage there. So that's when we rolled up. Um, it's a much smaller story than Vietnam. I think the American troops were only there for a month or less and then it transitioned to a more international force. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, Johnson was he was not afraid to just send 
uh, our military wherever they needed to be or wherever he thought they needed to be um, at a moment's notice. Uh, he was he was pretty much always up for that. Yeah. And I think I mean, you get in his head a little bit. It's there is a pretty big threat of communism. Oh, sure. uh, the president has recently been assassinated. Yes. Uh, yeah, you you probably react a little more hawkish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think anyone was winning points for um, turning the other cheek at this point. Yeah. Um, also on the 2nd uh, of May 1965, the 272nd and final episode of the Western drama Wagon Train aired on NBC. Uh, and a year and a half later, a certain science fiction series which had been pitched as Wagon Train to the Stars <laughs> would premiere on the same network. Yep. Uh, and somehow get canceled way too soon oh uh, yeah it, well yeah. that's that's the way that good science fiction shows go that's true yeah firefly yeah <laughs> uh, uh on the 11th the rolling stones not to be confused at all by with the beatles but <laughs> the rolling stones finished recording i can't get no satisfaction um it would be released in the united states on may 27th but not released in the uk until august 20th yeah that's pretty rare that that's they very released in the states first yeah yeah, um, I don't really know anything about the early Rolling Stones, uh, like their popularity in the UK versus America, but um, it seemed like someone realized that there was a lot more money to be made over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And that song, I mean, I know John Lennon loved that song too, so uh, it's pretty much quintessential rock and roll. Yeah, it, it's like an er rock song. Uh, let's see, on the 13th of May, 1965, astronomers Arno Penzias and Robert W. Wilson of Princeton University submitted a paper to the Astrophysical Journal confirming the Big Bang Theory of the Origin of the Universe. Never heard of it. No. Nope. Sounds, like, um, <laughs> sounds like scientists lying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, on May 17th of 65, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, who composed the soundtrack for HBO's Watchmen, did a couple of other things, too. Yeah, he did a couple uh, other things. He was born in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Yeah, but that I guess that and The Crow, the song he did for The Crow soundtrack, those would be his two comic book bona fides, I think. That's as close as we get to a, a Marvel tie-in with Mr. Yeah. Mr. Reznor. Uh, on the 19th of May, 65, uh, I get to uh, debunk an urban legend here, which I'm very excited to do. So um, an American inventor by the name of Paul C. Fisher filed for a patent on an anti-gravity pen, which is also known as the space pen. Um, and it used a pressurized ink supply to enable the pen to write when the force of gravity uh, was acting against the flow of ink in the ink cartridge. So the pen could write upside down or, or you know, whatever. You didn't need to be you know, having gravity pulling the ink down. Um, like pressurized ink supply sounds like it's going to go all kinds of wrong, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, this was later, um, this is where the urban legend comes in. It was misconstrued to imply that NASA had spent millions of dollars to develop an unnecessary replacement to a pencil. And as the joke concludes, it's like, you know what the Russians did? They just used a pencil. Um, right. You know. <laughs> right. But the actual story is... Um, uh, Fisher was privately funded. He earned his costs back when both the American and Soviet space programs began purchasing his pens. Um, and they were necessary because of the hazards of broken pencil tips, graphite dust, and flammable wood in gravity-free environments. Yeah, um, not to mention just poking holes in your spacesuit. Right, if you're not exactly. Careful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the pens themselves were only sold for $6 a piece, which, you know, 
I, I granted this is 1965 dollars so you know it's a little you know that's a little bit more than it sounds in today's dollars but you know it wasn't like nasa was paying thousands of dollars a pen while the russians were just being you know practical and frugal so <laughs> right. take that joe stout uh-huh. debunked um on the 24th of of may 1965 john c Riley, the actor and comedian <laughs> he's also a doc, dr steve brule who entertains me in my brain right every time i think of him uh, uh he played corsman uh, day in guardians of the galaxy um he was born in chicago illinois so yeah, yeah he plays one of the uh the officers who are trying to um, apprehend the guardians and yes. then later helping them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I just watched that movie a couple of nights ago with my kid. It was the first time he had seen it and he loved it. So, Oh, yeah. I can't imagine if I was a kid and saw that movie, my brain would melt. Yeah. Um, you know, it's I, I, so cool. <laughs> I've said, um, and I'm, I'm half serious when I say it, that I think Guardians of the Galaxy is the best Star Wars movie to come out in the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would put it at 75% serious. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And then uh, one more um, story of interest. Uh, on the 26th of May, 1965, the United States Senate passed an amended version of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 by a 77 to 19 margin. Voting against the bill were 17 Democrats, two Republicans, all of whom were from the southern United States. What a terrible mm. shock. An amendment was added in order to get the bill to pass, avoiding a prohibition of the poll tax. As one author would note later, the compromise amendment stated that Congress was against the use of poll taxes as a condition for voting, but it did not actually ban the use of the taxes. So the South gets to keep their poll taxes and the Voting Rights Act passes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, again, tiny little baby steps toward progress. Uh, That's what was going on uh, in May 1965. We're going to take our first break. So don't go anywhere. Hey, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Um, Rob, I want to introduce you uh, to a fellow you may know. Uh, His name is Nick Fury. Sure. Um, he's a sergeant. He's got some commandos. He's in World War II. First of all, he's not a sergeant anymore. Now he's a colonel. Whoa. Uh, and he doesn't have commandos. He is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yes. Uh, <laughs> what is that? Okay. Well, here we go. Uh, <laughs> Strange Tales number 135 has all the answers you're looking for. Um, the story uh, is called Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's written by Stan Lee. The art is by Jack Kirby with Dick Ayers inking him. Um, so the Human Torch, the thing, are out of Strange Tales. Uh, last month was their last story um, in Strange Tales, um, and Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, is in. Um, so quick, can you name off the top of your head what does Shield stand for? Oh no, uh, <laughs> no, I know one of the words is really dumb. Yeah, uh, yeah. Headquarters is the dumb one. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one that I always throw. Um, it is Supreme Headquarters. I'm now looking at it, so yes. I'm cheating. Yeah. Uh, Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a barf a barf of words to make that say <laughs> shield. Yeah. In, in, in the 80s, they try, they give it a different definition, but it's no better. Um, it, it's just all this I can never remember what this thing stands for. Um, yeah. But you don't need to because S.H.I.E.L.D. is a really cool name uh, for an organization. Um, and uh, 
this is a it's a new series from Marvel. Um, it's going to occupy the lead uh, slot in Strange Tales going forward. Um, and it's uh, totally inspired, um, obviously, by the Cold War super spy fad that is really peaking right now. Um, so uh, The Man from UNCLE uh, premiered on television in September 1964. Um, it was the first of nearly a dozen uh, spy fiction shows uh, to follow uh, over the next few years. Um, Stan did not waste any time capitalizing on the hype. Because um, if you figure, like if this came out in September 64, and we're talking about comics that came out in May 65, um, Stan must He just have, started writing it like, right away. Immediately, yeah. immediately, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so you had, uh, you know, Man from Uncle. Uh, Man from Uncle was very popular. Um, you also had uh, three James Bond movies that had been released by this point. Uh, Dr. No came out in 1962. From Russia with Love came out in 63. Goldfinger came out in 64. And uh, later on in 1965, Thunderball would come out. And I think that might still be the highest grossing Bond film to date. I'm not sure about that, but... Um, this is definitely Whoa. where like all that stuff was just like the audiences could not get enough of it. Yeah, it was the biggest Hollywood thing yes. at that point. Yeah, they, yep. they kept building. Totally. Um, so we have so far mostly seen Nick Fury in the pages of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. All of those stories have taken place during World War II so far. Um, but we have seen some hints uh, of what he's been up to in the 1960s as well. Um, so, oh, like, yeah. yeah, in uh, Fantastic Four number 21, um, Fury is a member of the CIA and he partners with the Fantastic Four to take down the hate monger uh, who turned out to be. Oh, no, I forgot already. It's just. Oh, when you Hitler remember, again. you'll remember. <laughs> is it just Hitler again? It's just Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, and then uh, in Avengers 15, which just came out a couple months prior to this, um, Captain America is uh, writing to Nick Fury to see if there's any opportunities to work for America's intelligence services because, you know, he just got thought out of a block of ice. Everyone he knows is, you know, dead or super old. <laughs> and he's right. like, I don't have a place in this world. Maybe I can, you know, go be a spy or something. I don't know. Um, so, you know, that's pretty much all we know about uh, Nick Fury in the 1960s so far. Um, uh, but uh, we're about to find out um, that things have changed for Nick Fury. Um, we know that somewhere between World War II and 1961, he loses sight in his left eye. He starts wearing an eye patch. Um, and he also gets that promotion from sergeant to colonel. Um, we still don't know exactly why, uh, but he is a colonel when we first meet him and he's wearing the eye patch. So this this first uh, uh, Nick Fury shield story, very straightforward. Um, it's 12 pages long. Um, and the plot of it is essentially Nick is Nick Fury is going to a job interview to become the director of shield. That's all he's just he starts in one place and he needs to get to this interview. Um, and that's that's it. It's just a um, I don't know what you call it. It's like a, a from here to there type story. Um, yeah. But S.H.I.E.L.D.'s enemies are not going to make that easy for him. Um, and uh, this is one of the most action-packed things, I think, that we have read in a while um, for the podcast. It's really just crazy. There's stuff flying all over the place uh, in every page and panel of this. Yeah, and it just drops you straight into... Uh, it, it's so obvious from the first you know, one splash page of him in this weird cocoon-like apparatus yeah. with everyone yelling life model decoy around him 
that this is not this is not going to be a world war ii story no you know? no not at all <laughs> and this reminds me so much of like for the first time i feel like we're getting a glimpse of a lot of the like the stuff that jack kirby would do for dc in the 70s where you just get thrown into the middle of a story and people are shouting jargon at you and yeah. there's no explanation for anything it's just basically buckle up and hang on right try to figure it out as you're flying through this thing yeah yeah um and Kirby wastes no time. Um, he establishes so much stuff in these 12 pages. Um, so it starts out, like you said, uh, Nick Fury uh, is in this weird kind of yellow cocoony thing. Um, he's having life model decoys made of him. Um, and what is a life model decoy? Um, it's basically like a, a dummy, uh, an animatronic dummy um, that they that S.H.I.E.L.D. sends out ahead of him. Uh, and every single one of the LMDs gets assassinated. Um, but they distract the assassins enough that uh, Fury is able to move on to uh, the next part of the journey. Um, yeah, but it's important to note all of these seven, or I don't know how many LMDs were they sent out, but there were at least six, yeah. and they were all killed within seven seconds of them <laughs> yes. showing up. So that's how bad people are looking to, to kill uh, Fury and he's still not exactly sure what he's doing right. what this thing is he's interviewing for yeah, or yeah. he doesn't even know he's interviewing for something he's just been ordered to go to this shield place right yeah yeah um, so he he, uh, he survives that um, then he's getting a ride in a modified Porsche 904 um, that seems to be fireproof because um, and uh, a plane overhead drops a uh, incendiary bomb on him and his driver uh, and they just roll right through it uh, then the car transforms into a flying car which like the shield flying cars that's a a recurring thing uh, over and over and over that's like a yeah a, a you know a well-established piece of shield tech yeah this is just they're just taking off things if anybody's seen agents of shield on tv you yep. know pat Patton oswald uh is a character who has <laughs> LMDs of him or is possibly just LMDs at this right. point. Yep. Um, they're, uh, they touch on all of these things right out of the gate. And the flying car is, is specifically, you know, in the first episode. Um, yeah. So, and then it just, and we're on page five, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we've, <laughs> yeah. we've already laid groundwork for things that are TV shows within the last 10 years. Yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. Um, and then if you remember from the movies, uh, Fury recruits Tony Stark uh, to be a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, in the comics, it just goes the other way around. Tony Stark is the genius inventor who's uh, equipping S.H.I.E.L.D. with all these fantastical devices. Um, and he makes the pitch to Fury to come on board and lead S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and the biggest piece of technology is revealed when Fury finally gets to the interview. Um uh, and there's a, a, a an assassin gets a bomb into the room where he's being interviewed and he uh, th hurls it out through a window uh, and the camera pulls <laughs> way back and you see that they're on board the helicarrier. Um, so it's the first time you get the glimpse of the helicarrier, this giant like I mean, it's basically it's an aircraft carrier with propellers that flies above, you know, the surface of the earth. Um, and uh, yeah, which is another like critical or, or like key core shield trope um is, yeah. yeah which is the in helicopter. the helicopter yeah avengers movies you've got the helicarrier yeah the this is um this shot is so cool it's a whole page yes. and it's just um 
I, I had to show it to Barb who did not care very much, but I was like, <laughs> look, the helicarrier, the helicarrier for shield is in the first mention of shield, you yeah. know, in this, uh, and she was, you know, slightly impressed, but uh, <laughs> did, didn't care as much as I did, but it, it does a lot to give you the scale. So when it pulls yeah. way back, it's also showing you bombers, very specific aircraft that are pretty large yeah. flying, in the foreground and obviously much smaller and like a fighter jet taking off from the front of it. It's wild. So, yeah. So you just go, there's a giant flying thing that he's inside. Uh, and, and it's called the helicarrier right out, you know, it's very specifically this crazy sky craft. And it's also the kind of thing where like, even if you wanted to show this in a TV show or a movie, like the special effects would like, it would be very difficult to pull that off in 1965. You know, yeah, but when you've got Jack Kirby, you can do literally anything um, on a comic yeah. book page. So this is where that the argument really started, and I know it's getting blurry, but yeah, comics are a place where you can do you can do anything, and the budget is it's the budget isn't going to be that impacted. It's whatever they can draw on this one page. Yep. So it can be a flying aircraft carrier. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, and then you know it. 50 years later people can figure out how to actually make that look believable in, <laughs> in a film yeah yeah and they did okay um, yeah but yeah uh, and so maybe more importantly you know in addition to all this tech uh, uh, shields adversaries are established in the first issue as well so again like another core piece of shield lore um, so you know James Bond had Spectre uncle had an organization called Thrush that was their big bad guys I forgot um, that one yeah. yeah well I if uh, I didn't look on Wikipedia I would not have known um, <laughs> but uh, shield has Hydra you know immortal Hydra uh, cut off a limb two more shall take its place that kind of thing um, yeah uh, which again was a huge influence in the uh, you know the first half of the Marvel movies and TV show uh, empire that they put together um so yeah a, a, an yeah, organization yeah. that still continues to pay dividends for that company it is most of i mean it's not most hydra touches some storyline one way or another throughout the entire history of marvel comics yeah. you know uh, there's not not always but there are often uh, a story can be going for a year and then you'll start to find out that there's some hydra element that's either it making it you know some insidious thing happen or right yeah or they um just get involved because it's happening but they're it's it's such a huge organization and a huge part of the marvel universe i mean the hydra is as as big of a part of the marvel universe as the avengers it's oh yeah easily you yeah. know absolutely and, and with human power way more Oh yeah, yep. Because <laughs> they're they're the endless endless henchmen. Yeah, yeah It's like how many do you need? <laughs> we can <laughs> we can provide them to order. Uh, and they're it's the organization is utterly ruthless. They have no patience for failure. Uh, we learn that in this story, when uh, an agent fails to assassinate Fury, he's disposed of. Um, his assassin uh, is Agent H who uh, we learn is the first female ever to join Hydra's circle of assassins. So, you know, hey, it's a good progressive organization. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're, you know, in 1965, you know, promoting a woman to a leadership role that that shows foresight. And, you know, um, yeah, maybe maybe Hydra's uh, maybe they're on the right track. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Although to 
get promoted, you have to murder someone. But, you know, right. that's yeah, well, you know, it's, omelets. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, by the end of the story, Fury doesn't need any more convincing. He's very excited to just smash Hydra. Um, and uh, so this is going to basically be Marvel's man from uncle, Marvel's James Bond. Like, um, And uh, eventually it's going to prove to be so popular, it's going to be spun out into its own book. Um, and then a fellow named uh, Jim Steranko is going to take over. Um, and uh, that's where... Uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. gets real fun. Um, but, I mean, this debut episode is just great. Like, there are just ideas exploding off of the page. Kirby is just outperforming himself. Um, yeah. It's it's like really, it's this uh, issue and then in a few months, uh, he starts doing some Fantastic Four issues where it's like, I mark that as the beginning of like, here is, here's like actual king kirby type stuff like this is where he is just becoming the greatest comic book artist in history um yeah and yeah. uh yeah but this is absolutely where it starts this is so well formed i could not believe it i i i didn't recall how shield really began or when the first these first issues were i don't think i read them when i read marvel masterworks so um, this was pretty new to me and i was so excited about how much was just there in 12 yeah. pages yep and and so well drawn and well formed and it's every all of the action is awesome you can tell he kirby's just pouring his heart into it and and or however much he did that i mean yeah. it's, I've, what i've read about him it's like yep it's a job let's do it and uh <laughs> but he yeah, just his ideas of, of what you see in the backgrounds yeah. and how the LMDs are formed and yeah. how the, um, you know that Stan was also just throwing these things left and right. And who knows, um, probably Stan said, and they have a flying base. And right. then, yeah. And that's where <laughs> Kirby like has to sit there and scratch his head for five minutes and then just start drawing without anything else, that <laughs> panel, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's... It's also like an early example of like one of my favorite Jack Kirby things, which is that Kirby's obviously he's inspired by something that's popular in the culture and then he runs it through the Kirby filter. Um, so like this is what Kirby thinks James Bond should look like, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is why is, it's so cool. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It's like this is so insane. Um, I, I love it so much. Yeah. I, uh, I, I wonder how much I'd love to see that script or whatever uh, synopsis that yeah uh, that Stan wrote for this because it could have just said like some kind of extraordinary technology for their base right <laughs> and then Jack's like it's flying it's flying aircraft yeah it's like carrier. that's yeah here's here's a story Jack Nick Fury he's made it to the sixties. He works for the CIA, but they want to have him lead this new super spy organization. And he has to get to the job interview. But there's assassins who are trying to finish him off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and that's it. Just 12, 12 pages. Give me what you we're got. Gonna need, yeah. yeah, we're going to need it tomorrow. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's wonderful. Um, and it's <laughs> not the only uh, new series that debuted this month. Um, so over in Tales to Astonish, where I am still just, there's a lightness in my heart at, at the fact that I did not have to read a Ant-Man, Giant-Man story this month. Um uh, because he is gone uh, from Tales to Astonish. Supposedly he retired in the last issue. 
Um, they also, uh, Giant Man quit the Avengers uh, around the same time. Uh, so we get to take a little break from the character uh, who's so lame. We have referred to him as basically Marvel's Aquaman. But yeah, uh, so ironically, you know, uh, Marvel's Aquaman uh, is replaced uh, in Tales to Astonish by Aquaman done right, uh, who is Prince Namor the Submariner. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Tales to Astonish number 70, which is what we read this month, uh, is the start of Namor getting the lead feature in the book. Um, and uh, Hulk is still the backup feature in Tales to Astonish. Um, Jack Kirby's drawing it. Uh, Stan Lee's writing it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Tales to Astonish is very quickly becoming a much better value for your 12 <laughs> cents. Um, yes. Yeah, by, by you know, getting rid of uh, Hank Pym and, and putting Namor in there and having Kirby doing some Hulk stories. Like, that's a that's a solid book. And uh, I think the thing I liked most about this, uh, and the reason I really wanted to talk about this issue, is because uh, adding Submariner uh, to Tales to Astonish means that um, this is the Silver Age debut of Gene Colan in yeah. Marvel Comics. So uh, Colan drew for Timely Comics in the 40s, uh, and he drew for National uh, DC Comics uh, and Atlas Comics uh, in the 50s. Um, he mostly did war comics. Um, in the 60s, he was freelancing on DC's romance comics. Um, but then uh, sort of as a side gig, kind of hush-hush under the table, um, he uh, had started penciling uh, Submariner under the pseudonym Adam Austin, uh, which is what he's credited as in this book. Um, so the story is credited to uh, being written by Stan Lee, art by Adam Austin, uh, hmm. inked by Vince Coletta. Um, and... Uh, Apparently, this was a fairly common thing uh, that artists uh, who were working for DC Comics at the time or national publications, as some folks are still calling it, um, they would use pseudonyms if they accepted some work from Stan. Um, and uh, I did a little research on this um, and uh, f uh, found a blog that Mark Evanier had published. Um, and, uh, you know, when explaining why an artist would use a pseudonym to work for Marvel when they were doing DC work. Um, he said, because DC editors sometimes frowned on their people working for the competition, there was a certain arrogance behind it, along with the fear that if you were working for someone else, you might not be spending every waking minute on your DC assignments. You'd lose stature around DC, where someone liked to believe that their standards were so much higher than any other companies. And the fact that you were willing to work for Marvel's lower rates wouldn't help you get a raise if you continued working for DC. Ergo, until such time as you felt the Marvel work was steady, you might elect to hide behind a pen name. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, when I was a kid, I mean, most of my life, I didn't really even think about that. Um, until I was, you know, a working adult who had sometimes moonlighted in the past. Yeah, totally. And yep. it's like, uh, you know, you want to, um, and if you can, like the fact that they can just put a different name, still get, you know, cash or whatever, oh, yeah. you know, get their check cut. Um, that's, that's worth it. And I'm sure they, they're all scraping by. So every page they can draw for whoever is going to help. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, no one was getting rich doing comic books. Um, and uh, like I, I can also sympathize with this. Like I used to write video game strategy guides back in the day, back when video game strategy guides were a thing that uh, people would pay you to write. <laughs> um, but uh, I would, you know, 
the way it would work is that my publishers would do deals with the game companies and we get, you know, pre-release versions of the game six to eight weeks before it hit the stand so that we could write the book. Um, and, uh, a lot of times after writing a book, I would reach out to friends of mine who were editors for video game magazines and say, do you want a review of this? Because I've put, you know, 150 hours into it already. And I can give you a pretty comprehensive opinion <laughs> on what's good and bad about it. Um, but I always used to write all those under pen names because, you know, you, you can't double dip. Um, Which now that's going to come back to haunt you. Statute of limitations. Oh, I know. Yep. yep. Uh, that's okay. They can sue my publishers, both of whom are out of business now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the other uh, getting back to Gene Colan, um, the other thing yeah. that's kind of uh awesome about this uh first submariner story um is that this was colin's first superhero work ever um he had been working since the 40s um and this is the first time he'd ever done any superhero stories that's crazy and he was still doing romance right at dc yes, so yeah. he was that is I mean, th that's just another thing to think about is like somebody working steadily as a comics artist yes. for decades who hasn't done a superhero that's how popular other comics were. yes you know exactly. uh, that's it's just, just helping to frame that in my mind yep um and uh <laughs> just to give you a little bit of insight i came across this anecdote um which was told by uh colin himself um if you want to know what it was like to be um working for marvel comics or, or just in the comics industry period at that point um uh, Colin uh, had an anecdote about Stan trying to lure him away from DC full time uh, while he was moonlighting for Marvel as Adam Austin. Um, and here's the story that Colin tells. He says, uh, <laughs> Stan asked me to come over and work with him. I don't remember how, but I do know that we made a connection. And he asked me, how about coming over? And so my answer was, well, what's the inducement? Why should I leave DC and come over to work with you unless there's a little something in it for me to do that? I'm not just going to leave DC. He said, well, if you're looking for more money, there's no point to it. I said, what do you mean? He said, simply because sooner or later, they're going to have to fire you and you'll have to come over here. <laughs> I smiled. What? I smiled and I said, Stan, I think I have to go. And I shook his hand and I said, that's OK. I'll just stay where I am. The next day I got a phone call from Stan because I had asked for more money and he gave it to me. He tried to bluff me and then I came over. <laughs> Stan. Uh, uh, I feel like I've worked for Stan. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, Just boy. Always, yeah. always trying to make that whatever extra thousand dollars back. Yeah. It, <laughs> that it doesn't his, have to pay for his you. wife's cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it, but, you know, it's a good thing that Stan went the extra mile and brought Colin in because he went on to draw some of Marvel's biggest titles of the 60s and 70s. Uh, including Daredevil, Iron Man, Captain America, Doctor Strange. Um, he co-created the Falcon with Stan Lee, um, who was the first African-American superhero uh, superhero in mainstream comics. He also created the 1967 version of Captain Marvel, uh, the Marvel version of Captain Marvel uh, with Stan. Um, and later he created the character of Carol Danvers, who would wind up becoming the modern Captain Marvel. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, he uh, other characters he he's credited with co-creating include Blade, uh, the original Guardians of the Galaxy. So he's responsible for like a third of Marvel's cinematic output by this point. 
and that's just the tip of the iceberg. He was still working in 2009, uh, less than two years before his passing uh, in 2011 at the age of 84. Um, he was inducted into the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame in 2005. He won the 2010 Eisner Award for Best Single Issue, uh, which uh, was an issue of Captain America uh, written by Ed Brubaker um, that Colin came back to draw. So, um, which, you know, probably also a lifetime achievement award uh but yeah so uh wow gene the dean uh was he was amazing um he he was born in new york city he was there when he died in between uh he lived in vermont for a while actually um and i want to say he lived in manchester vermont i might not be 100 percent on that but um i do remember um driving an hour and a half uh, to go to uh, some little comic book lecture uh, there when I lived in Vermont. I grew up in Vermont. Um, and uh, it, it was a lecture that Dave Sim uh, was hosting because um, <laughs> at the time Dave had not gone off the rails and uh, I was a very big Cerebus fan. Um, yeah. And uh, and, and uh, after the, the show, I was chatting with Dave and he introduced me to Gene uh, who had been uh, in attendance the whole night and no one knew it. Um, so I oh. uh, got to meet Gene Colan, which was... That is yeah, cool. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell you, man, Vermont, it's the nexus of... Uh, it's a nexus of uh, comic book genius um, in this country. Uh, like Portland is one of those towns. Vermont is one of those towns. New York, obviously. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of them. Yeah, that's great. It's crazy. Just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just can't imagine running into Gene colon in yeah well in well, vermont the in the yeah you know, i, I was what? utterly unprepared for it. i didn't know he lived there or anything i was he was you know had no expectation that i would be seeing him that evening i was excited to see dave sim and like maybe steve Bissett, you know who uh, had drawn swamp thing back in the day yeah uh it's like maybe i'd, I'd run into Bissett or something like that but yeah was not expecting gene colon <laughs> uh so pretty cool wow um yeah well so Mostly, I just wanted to talk about the Gene Cullen part. Do you want to give us a quick run through of what actually happened uh, with yeah, Namor? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, so as for the story, it's uh, it's just a twelve pager. It's the first chapter in a long series um, that's that it starts immediately after Namor's appearance in Daredevil number seven. So this is where Daredevil is trying to stop him uh, from uh, you know running through a whole army. Um, right. So Namor went to the surface world. He tried to prevent a war between his people and the surface dwellers. But while he was gone, Warlord Krang usurped his throne. So uh, as he does. Yep. As somebody's always doing it. Uh, so Lady Dorma, who warned Namor that this would happen, tries to keep him from charging in, which he, of course, ignores because he's Namor. Right. Uh, so and she's she's a. a- imperious female or something like that i'm sure yeah there was some kind of language like that says some i'm sure he says something semi-terrible um then uh she uh she has him arrested by krang's guards um and she figures out that if he realizes he's lost the throne forever he might decide to just settle down with her or something (laughs) stan he just does not know how ladies think (laughs) <laughs> oh, it, it's he, it's why I, I think this is something that either Sarah or Barb brought up when we had them on the podcast. But it's like, so the guys have all this stuff going on, and like their romantic relationship is just like one facet of their character. But like all the ladies only exist to like obsess about 
their relationship status with the male hero. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Wild. Yeah. It's it's worse than fridging. Um uh, because they have to live through that as characters. <laughs> right. Um yeah. So uh Namor is brought before Krang, who says he's going to lead an invasion against the surface world. And to make sure Namor doesn't interfere, he's chucking him in the dungeon. No, that'll so, do. It. Yeah. Um then Dorma visits Namor in the dungeon, um, who reveals his plan, <laughs> which is <laughs> King Neptune once lived in Atlantis, uh, the the god king. Right. Uh, yeah. When he departed to begin the sleep of ages, <laughs> uh, he hid his trident somewhere in the depths of the ocean. Uh, and he says, here shall it remain until the day a pretender seizes the throne of Atlantis. Then shall my rightful heir seek and find this trident, and all who behold it shall know the crown is his. A very overly specific prophecy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it, yeah, it's, it's like a D&D module written by a 12 year old. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty good. Again, it's for the 12 year old to consume. So, yeah. You know, yep. Um, so, we've got to make sure they can understand why this yep. thing's getting set up this way. Uh, <laughs> Lady Dorma helps Namor escape and he begins his quest for the trident. Uh, first stop, beating up a giant squid that's guarding a shell with Neptune's mark on it. So mm-hmm. now we know this is going to be like a video game of stages. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mini bosses. Yeah. Every issue. Yep. Nair, Namor grabs the shell, but the cave mouth seals shut and the squid is coming for him. Cliffhanger. Oh my. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, you know, I, I hope this isn't going to cause any unnecessary anxiety in our listeners. We'll probably check in on this story periodically, but um it does go on for quite a while, and it is literally just Namor. It's like, here's another undersea challenge to overcome. Um, so it's it's like a 12 labors of Hercules type thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of a um, a real simple story. Um, and, you know, and Gene Colan, he's still also trying to get the superhero art style down. Um, he, he actually made it a point, like, he didn't want to try to do something he didn't want to duplicate kirby he didn't want to duplicate ditko um he 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 felt he couldn't do that he could only be himself so you know his art style there's a little bit of an evolution there but he locks in pretty quickly um yeah and there's still uh, great dynamic scenes it's just sometimes the the faces these characters that you're so used to seeing being drawn pretty prescriptively by jack kirby or by stan telling people to draw them like jack uh it's it, it's different this time so it took i was like well, got to work on these faces but there's so many beautiful panels in this too just the fact that he's adapted so quickly to you know this is an undersea world the, the whole thing takes place underwater um so you the fact that he's just uh, cool and draws it in ways that are familiar right away yeah. means that yeah he's gonna get his sea legs <laughs> uh, I see what you did there um, yeah and uh, it's not too long before Vince Coletta is no longer his anchor which doesn't hurt uh, sorry Vince um, so uh, yeah uh, but that's uh, that's the uh, first of the recurring Submariner stories um, which we'll be reading going forward um, so let's go ahead uh, take our final break of the episode uh, and then when we come back uh, we've got a pretty awesome major x-men character to talk about uh who makes his debut this month here on marvel by the month 
we are back here with Marvel by the Month. Uh, we've got one issue left to talk about, um, Rob. I know this one is near and dear to you, so oh, yeah. uh, would you uh, do us the honors of taking us through X-Men number 12? Yes. This is uh, written by Stan Lee, layouts by Jack Kirby, art by Alex Toth, with Vince Coletta inking. Um, it's the origin of Professor X. By the way, uh, congratulations on getting Toth's last name right. I literally did not know that until a couple months ago. Um, so... Uh, yes, uh, nice job. Well, I think we heard. I think we heard Joe Keating say it, right? So <laughs> I think Joe was the one who tipped me <laughs> off to it, and he doesn't know that he did. <laughs> we get so much from him. I'll do a little bio of Toth at some point um, when he comes back around. Um, but uh, I recently read uh, he did a bunch of stories for Creepy, um, the Warren Publishing like '60s and '70s uh, horror anthology that was like a spiritual successor to the EC Comics, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, they they uh, Dark Horse put out a really nice volume of uh, it's called Creepy Presents Alex Toth, um, which is just great. If you can track it down, do it because um, not only are the stories great and the art is brilliant, um, but uh, the foreword is written by one Mister Douglas Walk. Oh, um, nice! Yeah, so uh, yeah, he gets around. He's a his, that's legit historian bona fides. Yeah. Um, well, so. This this uh, this story is a cliffhanger that had left over from our season two finale um, because X-Men is still a bi-monthly book at this point. We didn't cover it mm-hmm. in episode one. So last issue, X-Men number 11, ended with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants disbanding. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch became Avengers. Mastermind was turned into a lump of stuff. Matter. Um, <laughs> matter. <laughs> a different shape of matter. Uh, so uh, Right. Toad and Magneto were space napped by the stranger. Uh, mm-hmm. But when the X-Men got back to Xavier's school, Cerebro started going crazy, indicating that the greatest threat they'd ever faced was heading their way. So that's that's yeah. pretty much where we uh, start off. And it runs along yeah. two parallel paths. It's uh, The first is in the present, where the X-Men are laying in all, all sorts of defenses against the oncoming threat. They're like digging trenches and serious like wartime defenses uh yeah like like putting grenades in hollowed out logs and things like that yeah yeah it's very it's very weird uh very militant um as we know it's a child army yeah and so and then they're watching their mysterious antagonist plow through um one after another so you just see this sort of silhouette they're describing how it's just getting through these incredibly um destructive uh defenses so it's almost, crazy almost like some yeah almost like some sort of unstoppable force yeah like indestructible um mm. so this uh the second uh part of the story is an extended flashback to xavier's childhood and young adulthood um this is also where we learn for the first time that his first name is charles old, yeah old chuck mm-hmm. Chrome Dome. Chucko. Yeah. Yep. So uh, he even has a little hair back then. So let's <laughs> let's talk about uh, Professor X's origin. His father was an atomic scientist, Brian Xavier, who was killed in an atomic blast at Alamogordo, New Mexico. Um, his research partner, Dr. Kurt Marco, married Brian's widow, Sharon, and adopted Charles, who believes that Marco could have saved his father but didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so at this point, Charles, he's still a boy. He doesn't have the mental powers yet. Um, 
but I, I mean, it doesn't take a telepathic genius to figure out that a sinister doctor named Kurt Marco might be responsible for your dad dying. Yeah. Who then marries your mom. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it goes bad almost immediately. It becomes obvious that Marco was mostly interested in Sharon's wealth and property, not just yeah. her. Uh, right. Marco also has a son from a previous marriage uh, and his name is Kane Marco, who's a real piece of work. <laughs> yes, he is. He's like the quintessential bully, like pug nosed face. And um, he moves back in with his dad after getting expelled from school. And the first thing he does when he meets Charles is smack him in the face. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. Uh, good so old just Kane. So you know. That's setting yeah. the tone for Kane Marco. Um, We're not going to beat around the bush here. We're just going to beat around Charles Xavier's face. <laughs> then, then it gets worse for Charles. His mother dies uh, shortly after Kane arrives. So he's just with this guy who he's pretty sure had something or could have saved his father but instead let him right. die and then got his family's wealth and his mom who now is dead. So Charles yeah. is bummed. Um, yeah. Kane demands money from his father and accuses him of killing Brian Xavier. Um, Charles bursts in and Kane accidentally causes an explosion in his father's lab while trying to silent, uh, trying to silence Charles. Um, Marco dies rescuing Charles and Kane. So he did yeah. Yeah, some redemption. It was, that, was, that was like it was a, a heroic moment for him. Um, you know, he, he didn't he didn't need to. Yeah, I, he probably would always try to save his son. But he you know, he showed that he didn't. He was not a totally callous and unfeeling being. Yeah, um, that's his that's his son, not him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's so he saved Charles, too. Um and sacrificed himself, which is, you know, yep. like one tenth redemption for all the other nasty crap he did. But um, right. But uh, before he does die, he admits that Brian's death was an accident, but Marco might have been able to save him if he tried. Mm -hmm. So with his last breath, he warns Charles to beware of Kane. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is such a good name for your new crappy brother. Um, uh, so, <laughs> so jump forward a few years and we see that Charles's powers are manifesting. Um, Kane is insane, insanely jealous of Charles's accomplishments in academics and sports. Um, Charles tries to smooth things over by letting Kane drive him to college. Kane drives the car off of a cliff, which Charles only survives because of his mutant power. Um, yeah. So at this stage, they're still like, they haven't really locked into what Charles's powers are like he has a little bit of telekinesis and a little bit of this a little bit of that um, so that's apparently how he survives this car crash um, I get the feeling that Jack intended this uh, to be because since Jack what, Kirby put him in out, the chair well yeah. put him in the chair and then stands like no 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 Jack remember I said that was that guy Lucifer who did it so yeah. like he explains <laughs> it away in a word balloon but yeah yeah because that the, this seemed like it was headed for that moment um, right but yeah, we did have, we do know that Lucifer had something to do with that, you know, that neck bearded Magneto knockoff yes. guy. Yeah. <laughs> Who's has the coolest name and it's just that. I know. But anyway, we'll yeah. serve, see him again sometime. So, um, the, the last time Charles saw Kane was in the Korean war. So mm. moving forward, um, Kane deserted under fire and Charles tried to bring him back. Um, he chased Kane into a cave which contained the sacred lost temple of Cytorak, as mentioned in Doctor Strange. Yeah, the, the very same Crimson Cytorak. Bands. Yep. And uh, 
Cain grabs a ruby from the altar uh, and it says, does it say this on the altar? I can't remember. I think so. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whosoever touches this gem shall possess the power of the crimson bands of Cytorak. Henceforth, you who, you who read these words shall become forevermore a human juggernaut. Oh, yeah. Very specific warning. But that last word, juggernaut, is uh, pretty important because everyone who is familiar with the Marvel Universe in any form has probably seen the juggernaut. So Caven buries Cain as Charles nar- narrowly escapes. Um, and as Charles finishes the story, their adversary is literally at their doorstep. He punches through a battleship steel door and scatters the and X-Men like bowling pins. Um, Xavier tries to slow him down with his powers, but they're ineffective. And now Charles Xavier stands face to face with his stepbrother, Cain Marco, the juggernaut. Cliffhanger! Yeah. Um, and that's, it's just great. Like, I love the way the story proceeds along the two paths. Yeah. Um, where you've got like all the flashbacks. So, like, you know, I mean, it, you put it together pretty quickly that whoever this person is in the present who is trying to get the X Men is, you know, tied into Xavier's upbringing. And then obviously you realize it's like, okay, it's got to be his brother. Um, and then you see, like, at the very end of the story, he gets the powers, and then, like, on the next page, he's at the X-Men's door. Yeah. You know, so it's like both of them come to their climax at the same point. It's really good storytelling. Yeah, this is solid, like, and this this parallels are so perfect, and just putting over, every time we're cutting to the present, it's just understanding the terrifying amount of power. Like, this is, yeah, people are, like, more scared than dealing with the Hulk, you know, they're yes. they're to see Xavier so freaked out is is yeah. terrifying for the X Men too. They're just well, yeah. <laughs> they're utterly ineffective. Like they they can't do anything. Um, like nothing they've set up is is even slowing him down. Um, and then I think one of the most shocking things at the very end is that so, you know, we've made fun of this in the podcast, but you know, in the first dozen episodes of the X Men, like half of those stories end with. You know, at the very end, Charles Xavier brain blasts somebody and, you know, the threat is ended, yeah. you know, <laughs> but then like we get to that point in this story and he tries to do it and it doesn't work. And we're like, well, now what do we do? Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's always been plan B <laughs> um, and plan B is not working. So um, and the X-Men are all taken out. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's a real it's, high stakes cliffhanger and a nice it's really build. great. And to- like the his style, too, is somewhere between kirby and ditko he does use a lot of wash of black in shadow and uh um so it is it's interesting it's just also another thing like with gene colin's work you're just seeing sort of new new artists take a shot at the faces and um yes and powers so there's some there's some things that are off but there's some things that are pretty cool in it yeah yeah for sure and and um and he does a great job of just obscuring the juggernaut basically throughout the entire story until you see him really for the first time at the in the very last panel clear um yeah but uh you know he, he it's like it's very mysterious all you know is this oncoming threat um and, and that, that the way he obscures him is so Ditko, like all yeah. of the the shading or there's an explosion behind them him. So he's very backlit or there's yeah. smoke, you know, it's just it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's real good. 
Um, so yeah, that's going to be uh, a fun story to follow. Uh, this is really where X Men starts hitting its stride for me. Um, ironically, like as soon as they get rid of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants uh, and they don't have that as the fallback, um, they like we get this, and then like it's not long after this that we get the Sentinels. Um, so you're seeing some real cool uh, like X Men lore being generated on the spot um mid 60s are just a very very um it's a very productive time for the marvel bullpen like some of the best stuff winds up coming out in the next three years um and it doesn't miss that's what's so crazy i mean i know it's uh, the genesis i mean when we're talking about this there's a lot of things that do miss like by normal uh 21st (laughs) century standards but um like you know representation of anybody other than white men uh but it slowly you know, chips away and yeah. uh yeah and it um but it but the this just these origins of all of these characters and all of these this world um they don't seem to miss like they're they sure they throw the hulk out and they cancel the hulk and they change the hulk's powers all the time yeah. but the hulk stays i think yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. other that's the other lesson maybe from stan is that he just tenaciously sticks to whatever it was and yes they they will reform it and they will kick it around but it doesn't nothing goes in the garbage no 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 there's no bad idea it's just it needs to just be tweaked and tweaked and tweaked until finally it's unlocked it's like yeah it's like he's picking a lock um and he doesn't give up just because it didn't open the first time right and you get to watch yeah (laughs) it's it's real cool yeah, yeah I, I mean, seriously, there like over the course of this season, um, and I, I've said this before off the podcast, but um, watching the Fantastic Four issues specifically that we're going to be covering uh, in this season of the podcast, it's like you get to watch over the next year or so, like Stanley and Jack Kirby basically figure out how to write the perfect Silver Age comic book, and they just mm-hmm. do it over and over and over again in fantastic four um and it's amazing to watch it's really cool yeah it's and it the way they especially with kirby too the way that they grow yes um it's like like you know you think of the beach boys or something like they write all these really amazing songs but they sound so simple and they're all about surfing they don't care and then they hit (laughs) they hit i mean i do care they're great but then they hit pet sounds and this is like this is like we're heading into pet sounds for jack kirby yes i think like he's gonna do some things that no one has ever done before or combinations of things that have been done but the way he's combining them are insanely awesome and yeah yeah, i'm very excited for just some of the things we're covering in this season and then into the next one yeah absolutely yeah um and so, so that's all the the issues that we're going to get into in depth uh, on this episode. But there were a couple uh, what we're calling marvelous moments um, that uh, wanted to mention. Um, it's just not worth doing a deep dive into the entire issue, but I do think there were a few things, and maybe you've got a couple ideas too uh, for some stuff that's worth mentioning, mm-hmm. um, even if we're not going to take a ton of time talking about it. Um, so. Um, one of the first things I noticed uh, in this month's worth of comics uh, that were on the newsstands in May 1965 um, is that there are starting to be black people in the Marvel Universe. Um, They're not making a big deal about the fact that now not every background character is white, but like specifically in Amazing Spidey uh, 26 and 27, you've got a lot of characters that are basically extras or, you know, just kind of, again, background characters. 
um, who are they're uh, African American characters. Um, and it seems to me like that's an intentional effort to inject a little bit of diversity into the Marvel universe. Um, now, you know, keep this all in perspective. There's still in this month of comics, there are still way more blue people in Marvel comics than there are black people in Marvel comics. Um, yeah. but you know, baby steps. So, uh, it was cool to see. Yeah. And I think, um, the, I, I the new Avengers have a yep. very forgettable second mission. Yes, they do. Um, they go to the fictional Asian country of Sin Kong and fight a giant commie who turns out to be a robot. Yeah. So just, and like a commie, like a, he looks like a sumo, just a huge guy. Uh, yeah. And yeah. it's just a robot at being controlled by another guy. And just seems like a total point, pointless. Uh, it's, it's still, uh, I think the only point of that story is to help define cap as the true obvious yes. leader of the group. Totally. That's yeah. you're absolutely right. And, um, so I was, uh, I was going through old, uh, episodes of the 1966 Marvel superheroes, uh, show earlier today to, to pull a couple sound bumps, um, that we could use at the beginning of our episodes. And, uh, I actually found an episode of the captain America, uh, serial that ran during that show. And it was an adaptation of this story. And I was going to, I was like, Oh, this is great. I can pull a couple sound samples from it. Uh, the voice acting is so I, incredibly racist. I, I, it, I have it I mean, on VHS, I think. Yeah. It's so bad. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, the whole, like, let's just switch all the L's and R's, and won't that be funny? Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I, I opted not to pull any samples from that one. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we didn't get into it because it's a multi-part story. We're going to cover it in an upcoming episode. Um, but Ben Grimm uh, in Fantastic Four this month winds up getting uh, kidnapped and brainwashed by the Frightful Four. Um, because if you remember, he walked out on the Fantastic Four last issue. Um, it's a pretty great issue. Uh, and the Frightful Four, like, I kind of don't think I ever really realized this. But, like, when they first show up, they're easily the biggest threat the Fantastic Four have faced to date. Uh, I mean, don't tell Doom that. But yeah. um, <laughs> they just, like, they win every encounter um, in the early going against the Fantastic Four. They're, uh, they're a serious threat. Yeah, they that is the true, you know, they're always trying to up the stakes with, um, you know, bringing Hyde and Cobra together or something. Yeah. Uh, so they introduce one villain. The hero defeats them. They bring in another villain. But with Fantastic Four, we already have a team. So they they tried the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, you know, with the X Men. But this team yep. is evenly matched, if not more. Uh, which is so weird because Pace Pop Pete is on it, but it still is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got that and, pace, you see. And we do. It does also put uh, Medusa as a as a ruler. Yeah. You know, it starts to establish her character. Um, yeah, she's jockeying for leadership. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. totally. Which is also another little just bump for, uh, you know, women being represented as something other than the the person who's making the costume for the oh yeah, rest totally. of the group. I mean, yeah. Medusa at this point, and and it really starts to take off in this issue. But she's the only Marvel female character who's not basically like a love interest or a secretary. Um, or like a den mother, you know, like a, like Sue Storm would be. Um, yeah. But she's the only one who like seems to have her own agency and her own ambition. Um, and uh, yeah, Medusa's great. I do have one one tiny thing from Journey into Mystery. Um, oh yeah, we uh, we get to see Odin sleep. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> it's just worth mentioning because it's such a, it's a full panel. Um, I I think it's Kirby. 
Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, Curry yeah. with Coletta inking. Yep. And uh, it is it's Odin in his PJs, which is the best thing ever <laughs> laying on a, on a big like sled of a bed that looks like sort of a Viking funeral is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's also just bringing in that, uh, the idea of the, the Odin sleep. Um, mm-hmm. this one is that he has to sleep for one full day every once in a while <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, to recover his power. But it, the, the, that this becomes like a story plot element when you know there's no odin to solve this problem it's sort of yes. like when charles can't you know brain blast somebody uh yeah it's so they they use this as a plot device when you just odin can't solve this for you uh yeah, so this it, is the first time they sort of set this up <laughs> it's like literally we've literally lost our deus ex machina <laughs> yes like, <laughs> yeah but th- no this is a really good month of comics and like even the hulk story uh entails to astonish uh number 70 um so uh, at the end of the last story um bruce banner seems to have been killed uh by a stray bullet um but uh rick jones drags him to uh his lab i'm um, blasting with gamma radiation to turn him back into the hulk to try to save his life um and it works uh but the bullet lodged in his skull has the unexpected side effect of giving uh the hulk uh the mind of bruce banner so yeah um, if you thought this was an idea that yeah <laughs> they came up with an avengers endgame or something that peter david came up with uh, in the 1990s uh, it goes back a little further than that um, yeah and so, we yeah. even have ditko when we had that you know like weird yeah. hulk hulk with banner's head oh that's right oh my <laughs> so god yeah there is a precedent for banner controlling hulk um that this one is this one's pretty cool smart hulk is always the scariest hulk oh yes absolutely <laughs> yeah because you know it never is gonna last um, yeah something's gonna go terribly wrong um so uh the only thing we got left to do is uh, talk about our panels of the month so yeah. uh what do you got this month? What's what's the panel that stuck out at you um, from all the things we read this month? So there was a there was a lot like the really the Odin pajamas was it's like <laughs> a full page, too. So uh, it was beautiful. Uh, but I what stuck with me oddly. Is, so I rarely read these where they the unlimited the app will let you go sort of panel by panel and oh, yeah. zoom in mm-hmm. on them for people who don't read them. But uh, we I usually just read full pages because that's what I'm more accustomed to and sure. how you interpret the page. Um, but for some reason I was going panel by panel on strange tales in the, uh, Dr. Strange story. So this is strange tales, one thirty-five, page four, panel two of the Dr. Strange story. It's just Dormammu sort of one panel of him sort of powering up. So it's like this glamor shot of Dormammu, uh, <laughs> centered with this weird, you know, like, green Ditko shape and then these power lines coming out from behind him um and so it was filling my whole screen and it really is just this tiny drawing that's probably you know maybe four inches tall on the actual board that Ditko drew on it uh maybe even smaller and it's so cool um i i wish there it was a full splash page because there would be so much more detail in it yeah yeah no i mean ditko does cosmic as distinctively as kirby does he just does it in a completely different way um yeah and yeah and and just like the the patterning and the in the you know the radiating power um it's a really good effect yeah well what what do you have uh well mine also comes from strange tales 135 uh we've already 
talked about it um, in a fair amount of detail, um, so I won't belabor it, but um, it's page 11, panel one and only. It's the first glimpse of the helicarrier. Oh, um, yeah. I, one of the things I really like about um, the way that this is done is like from a storytelling perspective, uh, Kirby, he paces it brilliantly. It follows a lot of small panel work on previous pages so that when you turn the page and you see this, it instantly conveys just how massive the thing is. And it takes an already just crazy story yeah. uh, up another notch. Um so yeah, it's a, it, it's such a visual shock. Like you almost gasp when you see it. Um, it really, it's very impactful. Um, it's Kirby doing some of his best work. Um, yeah. just from like insane imagination, but also that contrast between make things feel claustrophobic and then open it up and blow their minds. Um, so yeah, what a cool, uh, month of comics. Like this was a lot of fun to read through. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and super fun to talk through with you. Yeah, and thank goodness, no Giant Man, no Johnny Storm, you know, adventure without the Fantastic Four. Um, yep. It's, it just was so fun to read. Um, I, yeah. And I'm looking forward to next week. I think we're starting to get the hang of this uh, remote deal. So I think yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, um, we, we maybe uh, we can drag a friend or two into one of these uh, in the near future. I think everyone is jonesing for a little... Uh, human contact and interaction and you know hey spend an hour or so not thinking about everything else um like these books are great they're a very welcome distraction um and i highly recommend i, I think marvel unlimited is still the best value um for any online subscription service ever um check some of these issues out yourselves you will not be disappointed um and really uh in times like these it might be just what the doctor ordered if for some reason you are disappointed, leave us a message. I would yeah. love to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll forward um, that to our friends at Marvel. Sure. Um, I do like, yeah, and I hope that this is, I really sincerely hope that this is a diversion that um, mm -hmm. gives some people a smile uh, <laughs> for a little while while they're trying to comprehend and deal with all of the things we all are dealing with. Um, yep. And we, yeah, are, we are all dealing with it. Like, don't beat yourself up about anything you are doing or not doing we are just like man if you make it to the end of the next week you're doing great just yeah just, just <laughs> keep keep your goals focused and and simple and just you know we will get through it but we're you know it's just gonna be one day at a time yep yep i yeah. and uh i recommend at least for people like myself i'm playing a post-apocalyptic a video game that takes place in Oregon and nice. uh, and I'm uh, watching the bits of The Walking Dead that I hadn't got through uh, that's available on Netflix so I'm just uh, living in sort of zombie-ish worlds <laughs> so this seems pleasant when you're back in the normal world uh, yeah, my yeah, escape just... I'm making my escape worse for some reason I don't know it's, right yeah that's just how I roll well, there's there's way cooler apocalypses out there, so yeah, indulge <laughs> in a few of those because um, yeah. this one is just lame. It's like what we're we're just all gonna like slowly go broke in our pajamas at home. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is the this is the whimper, not the bang. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's the worst worst apocalypse ever. Uh, anyway, we're gonna be here next week, uh, and we hope you are too. Uh, in between now and then. Um, find uh, us on uh, marvelbythemonth.com you can order our, our famous stay inside and read comics t-shirt uh, which started out as way more of a joke uh, than it has turned out to be um, 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, shoot us an email. Uh, email us a voice memo. We'll drop it into uh, an episode if you let us. Um, you can email us at marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash marvelbythemonth, and Instagram at marvelbythemonth. Um, yeah. No, seriously. Uh, if you uh, if you are feeling the walls closing in a little bit, read some comics and then uh, send some messages uh, in bottles to us, um, and uh, let's talk about comics. Um, it's how we're getting through, and uh, it's so far so good. Yep, it's working. Yeah, it, it works. Yeah, it works. I wouldn't call it an antidote or <laughs> anything. No, but <laughs> it does work. It's a dote. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, for Marvel of the Month, my name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. And uh, we'll see you next week for next month. Stay inside and read comics. Mm-hmm.